This is The Rational Perspective. I'm Alec Hogg. Well, whenever the opportunity arises, I try to get together with Dr. Martin Davies. He's a man who possesses one of the finest minds I've ever been exposed to. And that's become a lot more difficult to see him nowadays. We live in different cities, and since joining Deloitte after he sold his Frontier Advisory, Martin spends a lot of his time traveling. Last year, he did over five dozen presentations to Deloitte clients around the world, but he was in London last week to host a lunch on Africa and speak at Oxford University, and we grabbed a little bit of time together. It was a fruitful hour on Friday at BizNews' WeWork base in London, And here are the highlights of this very rational perspective from this extremely rational man, starting with Martin's rather sceptical view of Ramaphoria. Uh, You know, just in the macro context, Africa's had a tough three, four years. It really has been difficult to to promote through the Africa cell, if you will. I think we see green shoots, as you allude to, politically, some political renewal, um, and think broader beyond SA, arguably Zimbabwe, arguably Angola, certainly South Africa, um, amongst the other places. And as we well know, politics is always the perennial problem in our, in our region. If we fix that, we're going to be okay. But how fixed is South Africa? Partially. Um, but it's, it's incredible how in every single meeting uh, one would go to socially or professionally leading up to December last year, the, the first point of conversation was always political and always focusing on JZ. There's this significant sense of relief almost in, in recent uh, what, two months or so that... Um, it's only been two months. It's, it's only incredible. been two months, and, but you know, politics is no longer front of mind in every small talk conversation you have, and that's a good thing. Not. Not front of mind, even though there's a new cabinet, there's the... Yeah, look, I think South Africa is like living in, I always say, it's living in a roller coaster. You know, you have the, 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 positive, um, the positive news, political shift, if you will, um, in December. Then um, there was hope. Then you had the, the incredible uncertainty and turbulence of the removal by the party of Jacobs and the state president. Then we have a new president, then we're hopeful again. Uh, in the following week, we were even more hopeful because we have two key ministers who are, who are incredibly competent and, and, and honest and ethical and will always do the right thing into the Ministry of Public Enterprises and Finance, respectively. And brought back after they've been fired by Correct. the previous and, and that proves the point, and, and, and Sir Ramposa clearly has done the right thing here. Uh, and it, it's, it's, uh, it's good to see ethics being rewarded. It's taken a long time since that happened. But then the following week, we're back in the usual state of political mess around the land issue in South Africa. So, you know, I've never come across a country where there's a few around, but where this roller coaster of sentiment, confidence, and politicking is constant. And it's, uh, you know, all of us as South African citizens um, are riding the roller coaster. Martin, how are you seeing it now, given that it's a roller coaster, but you are sitting in London where you can be more reflective, you're on your Ferris wheel at Deloitte uh, rather than the hamster wheel 
uh, when you were working on your on your own. How you, if you if you take this three to five year helicopter view of South Africa, how's it all panning out for you? Mm. Look, South Africa is a sizable economy; it ain't going away. Uh, and I think the challenge really is: is how do we start to sort of get into gear? Um, but we're mustering through currently. Um, I think the uh, I think the political risk remains. We've just kicked the can down the road a bit. Um, uh, really? Yes. Awesome. Um, his name is Julius Malema. He's very ambitious and he's very young. And both of those things are dangerous. So I don't think I think there's a there's a there's a somewhat I don't want to be sort of you know don't shoot the messenger, but. I think there's a uh, people think this euphoria, as mentioned in recent weeks and past couple of months. I think we need to retain, and I always retain, a sense of realism. And uh, you know, the party, the ruling party, is ultimately very Leninist in its approach. And we know how these things end up. Leninist, not very even so. socialist. No. It's, it's very Leninist. makes Corbyn look uh, perhaps. Well, Corbyn's <laughs> ideological aspirations will be constrained by very rational institutions and common sense. Uh, I don't think, you know, when when a party comes out and talks about land expropriation and totally ignoring what's just happened in neighbouring countries of Zimbabwe in recent uh, sort of 18 years, and that has never even been discussed as a how not to do it. Um, when you talk about nationalisation of Reserve Bank again, uh, this is just emotional ideologically fueled um, stupidity and policy making by the party perspective uh, and again the language the language of comrades the language of, of deployment this is a party that simply can't move on I'm afraid and look at the leadership and these guys are you know these guys should have done good jobs and many of them have many haven't but effectively should be in retirement and I would argue, maybe slightly contentiously, the ANC's greatest failure in the last two decades or so has been the creation of, a, and think China here, think Singapore, think other parties. Where's the intellectual, qualified, new leadership emerging? The ANC's talent pipeline defected. It's now called the EFF. Well, we could have spent a whole day talking about South African politics but I was also keen to tap into Martin Davies's brain on an economic challenge that I've been racking my mind about. Leaving politics aside for a while, the economic picture in South Africa is pretty grim. Uh, I wrote in my newsletter this morning about Eskom, which is now with 360 billion in debt, in a debt trap. They, they don't have the free cash flow to, to pay off their, their interest. As much as I've scratched my head and spoken to smart people, how do you get out of something like that? Uh, uh, debt is a bit like gravity. You just can't escape it. And um, look, uh, I think, again, this, is, this, is, uh, this is, was a highly predictable train wreck. Um, but why do politicians take things to the brink and beyond? It's so unnecessary. And again, it talks to this, to this I use that word again, Leninist, statist, party-driven uh, approach to managing anything. Um, particularly some of our leading corporations. Um, and, uh, you know, it's... I think going forward, uh, I made a, my comment last year, and I've been a strong, consistently strong, um, very vocal opponent of this highly unfortunate, um, uh, 
emotionally driven and ideological phrase called radical economic transformation. Well, I'm afraid it's time for radical. It's called privatization. And I don't believe really the state should actually own anything in this day and age. Uh, given that 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 uh, there is an ideological base that you've described as Leninist, which uh, is pretty concerning to anybody who knows how that all ended up wherever it's been tried. But on the other hand, given that the state-owned enterprises are in real trouble. Is it possible that that kind of approach might even be considered now? It has to be. I think the, the good thing is, again, at varying speeds here, um, certain companies like ESCOM now have got a great leadership at the very top end in, in place, SAA similarly so. It's going to start to happen across other, many of, of these SOEs, more to come there. But it's a great start when you have got great people, and South Africa has lots of great people in the right positions. So we're getting there, and but as, you, as you said, these these financial um, sort of challenges are significant. But with the right people, we'll fix it. And I think uh, I go back to say, what is the sort of what could we do short to medium term to drive growth? And I'll talk about it shortly. What, how, how do we get beyond these very sort of uh, sluggish? Um, figures of you know decimal points or one two percent, which is which is really there's not going to not going to move needle anywhere at all. I think one of the things we can do is really start to to um, to um, to liberalise, to break up, to privatise state-owned companies, expose them to to the competition they require, force change, um, and ultimately drive productivity. That's what we need to have uh, see happen, and, and the way these 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 uh, sort of um, these incredibly dominant state-owned companies have squeezed out private capital in recent years, from transit and infrastructure to 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 ESCOM into power, and many others has been has been incredibly damaging for the South African economy. But there is still a developmental state that ideal. Means, that means nothing. You can't have developmental state. Uh, we need to move away from these, develop. these hollow <laughs> phrases. Developmental state. Uh, what does that mean? It just means it's a euphemism for, for state control, mm -hmm. I'm afraid. Mm -hmm. And if you go back to the origins of developmental state, it came around leading up to Palakwani in December 2007. Uh, this was a developmental state. Was, was It was effectively a, a, an ideological response to, to, to Mbeki's sort of more market-oriented approach and partial privatization. Think you know, likes of, of telecom at the time. Um, that could have happened to many of the other companies, but didn't. And developmental state was conceptualised by the likes of the SACP amongst other so-called um, self-promoting intellectuals um, who use this developmental state concept. And this was a period in December 2007. The South African economy was growing at 5.4 percent in 2007. The developmental state, I'm afraid, has taken us down to decimal points or below. Over the past decade or so, as South Africa and China have grown ever closer, I've regularly tapped into Martin's knowledge to get a better understanding of what the overtures from the Middle Kingdom would mean for the beloved country, especially as the ANC has often praised China and held it up as a role model for its oft-stated development state policies. Martin says talk is cheap, and in this case, there simply isn't any money to buy the whiskey. I spent a lot of my formative years in Asia, all over, from, from Singapore in the south to Korea in the north, and a lot, of, a lot uh, in, in, in various cities and provinces in China. And uh, 
being in Asia in those years, especially the Gogo years of the 90s and the early 2000s, even China today, you, you see what is possible with market-driven, um, uh, functional, highly functional, highly technocratic states with a, a very, very pragmatic approach to economic policy. That's what's possible. It's called, you know, literally creating middle-class-driven societies from poverty in the space of a generation, generation and a half. But there are many within the ANC who say, look at China, it's a communist party, it's a developmental state. That's the model we need to follow. From what I've just heard from you now, and you're sitting with your arms folded, and Alec, let me just it doesn't seem to make sense in your mind. Let me rewind. So, uh, some some memory. July 2008, Jacob Zuma goes to China. His first trip as party president, post Polokwane, spends a week or so in Beijing. And the agreement was uh, with the president at the time, uh, Chinese President Hu Jintao, was to have every member of the, any, the National Executive Committee, NEC, of the ANC, 80-odd, I guess, to go to China on so-called learning journeys. So the course of the next two years or so, they all traipse over in groups to China on learning journeys, and it hosted by the Chinese government. So this typically would be, and to understand, I mean, I did my PhD on Chinese-related stuff, and I still don't understand the place. Going for a week on a, on a semi-vacation or a learning journey, you ain't going to learn too much in a week. But they come back with a very status perspective of China. And of course it's impressive when it comes to the uh, gross capital formation, infrastructure spend, think super highways, high-speed trains, big airports, um, sort of urbanization story. The difference is in China is that so they'll go to Beijing, spend less time in Shenzhen or Shanghai or, or sort of Wenzhou or these highly entrepreneurial centers. China's success has been underwritten by a highly functional state, um, one that has been in, and also one that was for, for a decade run by engineers. And what do engineers do? They build stuff. And China was incredibly good at building stuff. So what has been underpinning the growth for the last 30 years has been a set fixed asset investment spend, nudging 45% of GDP. Comparatively in South Korea, we're 17. We're like the anti-China growth model. We don't build stuff. We're like Brazil. So the, the politicians came, came back from China, the view that, oh, China's successful, this was the conclusion, China's successful because of state intervention and a strong state. Well, I'm saying yes, partly because it's been fantastic, the high growth rate is underpinned undoubtedly. The bulk of that growth is driven by gross fixed capital formation spend. So Chinese SOEs, yes, they were corrupt, but boy, did they deliver from an engineering perspective and built a lot of stuff. But the second story of China, and arguably a far more important one, has been the unbelievable flourishing and emergence of a highly competitive private sector, which has totally nothing to do with the state whatsoever. And that's the part, I'm afraid, our guys didn't really think about. So... If you're going to have a status pursuit of growth, make sure you do it right and you build stuff, i.e. you execute. And the NDP, our National Development Plan, talks about a 30% target, which Shiva Man was partly authoring, a 30% target of fixed asset investment to GDP. We're at 17. So the sweet spot's about 25 to 30. And that would give you baked in, what, arguably 3 3.5% before you even start doing anything else. And that's the China story. So, and this is what I understand about South Africa, it's hard to figure out. You've, you've got this fantastic world-class banking sector. We have very deep capital markets. Um, we have highly 
somewhat beaten down by the Competition Commission, but we have very highly technocratic um, infrastructure construction firms, Stanford Group Fires, Murray Roberts, the Avenge, etc. Um, we have a demand side, of course, and yet we just can't get the infrastructure built. What's the problem here? We have all these this institutional financial market capability, but it ain't happening. Why? Because of a dysfunctional state, an intervention, unnecessary intervention, regulatory burden, burdening by the state on private capital and squeezing out of private capital by the SOEs, renewables, ESCOM, Exhibit A. That's prevented this, uh, this private money, largely, moving, flowing into infrastructure in South Africa. I've just explained why. I've just taken 3 3.5% off our, sort of, uh, off our, um, our aspirational GDP growth target, just by explaining that. Well, some sensible insights from a very rational mind. Dr. Martin Davies is Deloitte's Managing Director of Emerging Markets in Africa. I'm Alec Hogg. Until the next time, cheerio.